0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Catherine. Hello, everybody. Packed house. Whoa. So I was going to start off the sermon talking about how, like, it's getting chillier and autumn's coming, and then we walked outside, and it's like a heat wave. It just doesn't stop. Um, but I have to say that how many of you are ready for a new season, for autumn to come? So the people who are wooing are the parents. I'm aware of that. Yep. Yeah. I was going to ask, you know, where are my parents at? But I, you've already covered that. Thank you. Um, where are my teachers at? Uh, <laughs> it's okay, guys. Teachers, I have a word for you. It's found in Numbers. May God bless you and keep you. <laughs> May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. There's been this massive phenomenon that's kind of been sweeping the nation the last few weeks. It's all over um, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, if, you, if you have children of a certain age group, you would know about this. If you're a teacher, you would certainly know about this. The dreaded GCSE results. All the anxiety comes up, many sleepless nights. It was one thing that when I moved here from America, I didn't quite get, didn't understand. Um, can I just tell you, Americans, we have it, we have it easy. Like our exams, is, uh, they're, they're nothing compared to kind of the, the pressure that, that kind of is around um, people here. And, and it just got me thinking uh, of this idea of, of tests and how life is full of tests many times. We have tests in all different walks of life, no matter how, what age we are, whether we're actually in school. And sadly, even when we get out of school, uh, there are still tests that come up. And we've kind of associated that tests are just a part of life. There's something that just happened. Um, you can't avoid them. They, they come up. They usually raise anxiety levels. Who enjoys tests? I was about to call it the sickos in the room, but we're all good. No one likes tests. That's, that's good. So nobody enjoys this idea of a, of a test. And chances are, depending on your age and stage, you have had different people who have given you tests, whether they were driver instructors or, or teachers or maybe they were a job performance exam. Or maybe it's a certificate for something. We would all deal with tests in one way or another. And this is kind of what got me up today. Because the past few weeks have been something that's just been phenomenal. That have been coming through this land. You, Catherine mentioned it. You can feel a thickness in the room um, when you come into church in the morning. God is up to something. And in the middle of all of this, I, 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 was, I found myself in the tent in the heat wave of August 2022. Always oh, was warm those days. And I remember sitting in the test, and I remember the Lord saying clearly, this is a test for your church and for your land. And it got me thinking, well, what, what does this mean? What do you mean a test? See, you see, most of the time when we think of tests, we usually kind of go, like I said, they're a part of life. They're struggle. But how do we feel when we think that God tests us? What do we think about that? Do the anxiety levels still go up? Depending on your background, your experiences, your life, that may affect you in one way or another, that that tests can bring out this anxiety and this thing. So we're going to look at tests today. I know it seems a bit strange, but go with me on this one. Tests are all throughout Scripture, and God tests his people from the beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation. Revelation. And as I started going on this journey with the Lord, I said, all right, Lord, show me what, what do you mean by this, this test idea? So I want, he took me to a few passages, and some of them we'll share today. Some of them we won't have time for. This is a shameless plug. If you're not reading your Bible with Jesus, you're missing out. You are missing out because a 20-minute sermon is not going to cut it. You know, uh, an hour-long worship set isn't going to cut it any longer. What are you doing with your time with the Lord? And in this moment, we see we're back in Genesis as every good sermon starts at the beginning, that God gives a test to Adam and Eve. He sets them out in the garden. He sets them out in, the, in this beautiful paradise. He provides everything for them. And they have a test, the test of two trees, the tree of life, which they can eat of and enjoy, and the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says what? Don't touch it. And what do Adam and Eve do? They touch the tree. It's like that big red button. Do you know where they're like, don't touch the big red button? The children are, really, it's, my, my wife's a teacher, so whenever she like tells kids, she doesn't tell kids don't touch that. It's kind of like this whole idea where you just go, we're just gonna distract you from over here. Don't look at the big red button. Don't see the big red button. Don't touch the big red button. I'm the inner child at heart. I'm the person who touches the big red button. So this is kind of what happens in our, in our walk of life and in our family. Um, but it got me thinking, and I started this train of, of, of testing, of God testing. And I found this point that I found was really, really in, insightful. And it's this, all throughout scripture, whether you're talking about Yahweh, whether you're talking about Jesus, all throughout scripture, God only ever tests his chosen people. It's interesting. He only ever tests the people that he has relationship with or he's calling into relationship with himself. He doesn't just go out and, and test stuff. I'm not talking about judgment. I'm talking about testing. And there's something in that. We're going to pick up today in Exodus, one of probably my favorite passage of Old Testament scripture. Um, we're looking through here. And many of you know it well, um, the Exodus story. How many of you have ever seen the Prince of Egypt? Just, just curious. Some of you guys have. It's awesome, isn't it? When you're like, you just have a kid, oh, here's Prince of Egypt. The, my wife, I can tell you right now, she's gonna go home and start singing the songs now because that's the one thing she loves about Prince of Egypt is all the music. But as kids, we've grown up with this understanding of the Exodus story. But the Exodus story we have to understand is the bedrock of our faith. Like It literally is the bedrock of our faith. We, this sets the pattern in motion of how God saves people and how he brings them out of slavery. And we bring that to today, and we're, we're, we're crying out for God to, to break, free, break us into freedom, into new freedoms, whether it's healing. or whatever. That enslavement, this if you trail with me all the way back in the Old Testament, you find that it's here in Exodus. We're going to pick up at a particular part. So here in Exodus, I'm moving forward. Everyone knows about this guy named Moses. He's called to set the Israelites free from Egypt and from slavery, from Pharaoh. And he goes and he, you know, probably reluctantly, if we are fair to him, says, all right, God, I'll do it. He goes in. We know about the ten plagues, that all sort of thing. And Pharaoh finally succumbs to a point where he goes, all right, I will let the Israelite people leave. I will let them go. So they take up their families and they move out. And they follow the Lord. They follow Moses by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We all know the story, right? Most of us are familiar with it. I'm gonna pick up here in Exodus 14, and this kind of again will set the tone for where, where I want to go with us this morning. And it says this: When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lift up their eyes. Sorry, I'm 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 firing ahead of myself. Pharaoh changes his mind. We know this, right? So Pharaoh goes, "I'm done. I'm done with uh, this. I know it. I've lost this. I want these people back. They should never have left. I'm gonna go and capture them and bring them back to slavery." And so he, he goes out ahead of them and he brings his army of, of 600 chariots to follow after the Israelites. Now we think about 600 chariots, we're talking tanks, modern day tanks, a full army to come after these people. And it says this, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. Say, feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what you've said to to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Say fear not. not. And stand firm, Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Say silent. silent. I looked up that word silent. It means to cut it. It means literally to cut it. It means to shush. Like, it's not an abrupt, like, just be, be pleasant. It's zip it. Seriously. You, you look it up. It, it follow, you follow the the, the word, a Hebrew word there. It, it talks about cutting it. It actually comes into this point where they actually cut things off, and, and it can be used in a negative way to be de- deceiving and to be kind of, like, hushing and quieting somebody, like, silencing somebody, like, in a bad way. And then there's the actual, like, just be quiet. So, yeah. So the people of Israel have their backs to the Red Sea. They followed... God up to this point. They followed Moses up into this point, and they see the Egyptians coming down upon them with their 600 chariots, their torches. Oh, and should I also mention, this is at nighttime. This is not during the day. So imagine black, and all of a sudden, you see this army of people coming before you, and you have this pillar of fire. It's, it's something that just blows my mind when I think about it. But here, here they are, and they see the Egyptians coming down, and they're freaking out, and what's the first thing that they say to Moses. Just been easier if we went back there. Be easier if we were just enslaved. Sure, at least there we had we had bread and food, and I mean it was comfortable. That was great. And what does Moses say? Stand firm, fear not, and shut up. (laughs) And watch what the Lord does. I want to read the rest for you here in this. And my Bible here, I'll bring it up here. The Lord said to Moses then, this is after he's told them to shut up. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Simple. See that red, see that sea? Black, pitch black. Just go forward in that. No bother. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Why am I bringing up this, this story and separating it and cutting it up? It's because of this. Along the way to the promised land, We will be tested. But the test that we see in the Old Testament of how God tests his people doesn't look like A, B, C, D, circle one. It looks like this. Here's an opportunity. I'm the only one who can fix this. I'm the only one who can save you. Will you trust me? That's the test. And all the Israelites have to do is and listen, and move forward. We have a we have a game in uh, primary school age. When I was when I was in university, I spent uh, time working for a program called Soccer Shots. I know it sounds super American, but essentially what it was is we went to uh, preschool age kids. If you can imagine this, is probably a, a laugh of its own. But me Muggins with about fifteen like two-year-olds trying to teach them how to kick a football. And we played this game. We called it red light, green light. Many of you have something similar, kind of what time is it, Mr. Fox? Most of you know what that is. And so you start at a line, and you go green light, and they'd run over the ball, and then you say red light, and they'd have to stop. And if they didn't stop, they went back. But of course, we're talking like two and three-year-olds. Like they, they, Some of them can barely walk. And you say red light, and they're running around picking daisies over in the corner. So we're chasing after them. And I see, I see this idea right here when I'm, when I'm reading this passage of the Israelites walking with, with Jesus. And it's kind of like this red light, green light moment. Where the Lord's just saying, would you shush and go forward when I tell you to go forward. If we follow the Israelites pa- past this point, As I've said, this point literally defines the story, the story. Our story is defined by this moment because it's the first time that the people see God will fight for them. God will cover their backs. God will defeat their enemies, and God will bring them out of slavery slavery to the fullness. And in this moment, he walks out, and where do we find the Israelites? Let's fast forward a bit. And I won't, we don't have time for me to go through all these different scriptures. So if, you, if you're really into some reading, try out Exodus, Exodus 14, 15, and 16. The Israelites come to this place. It's called Mara. It's spelled like Ma- Mara, but the problem is is that what it means is the land bitter. And Mara's too nice. She's not really bitter. There's nothing really about Mara bitter. So I looked it up just for you, Joshua, just so you know. That's not how you pronounce it. It's Mara. It's not the same thing. All right. <laughs> hope you didn't hear that, Marwa. We, we love you and we hope you get better. This is, this is what it says. I, I love scripture. I have to tell you this. So the people, they're following God, right? And they get to this place. And Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, which means bitterness. So when they came to the place called bitterness, they could not drink the water of bitterness, because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named bitterness. That's what it says. And the people grumbled against the Lord, saying, what shall we drink? Some of you probably know this story. What shall we drink? We haven't had water in three days. And we can give give the Israelites a hard time, but see, if I don't have water for one day, I'm a bear. If I don't have food, In like five or six hours, I eat people. (laughs) So I understand where the Israelites are coming from. But they grumble and they say, in this moment, they say, to Moses, it would have been better if we were back in Egypt. because At least there we had bread. Isn't it funny? When we move forward out of where God's taken us to go, the moment we hit a bit of discomfort, we naturally go, I was better going back that way. This is what I want to bring up. God shows Moses a tree. He cuts down the tree, throws it in the water, and the water is is drinkable, no longer bitter. And the Lord says this. There, where this tree got thrown in the water, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. It's interesting that. What's even more interesting is we're not even at Sinai yet. We're not talking 10 commandments yet. This is something that sets up in the beginning for the people that follow Jesus, the people that follow the God, the people that follow Yahweh, the great I am. It's this, it's if you will diligently seek me, and you will listen to me and you will obey me, then I will bring you into the place that I've called you to be. From Genesis, it starts. I'll go to one more quick story here, just in case you don't believe me, you know, that, that this is a thing. Exodus 16, they move on from the place called bitterness, Marah, to a place they set out for Elam, and come to a place in the wilderness of sin. And we actually, funny enough, we chatted about it early this morning. Um, and this is the place where they're hungry. So first they were thirsty, and now they were hungry. Because they had nothing to eat. And this is where the Lord shows up, and he tells them, I will bring bread from heaven, heavenly bread, called manna, which translated, what is it? And I will provide for you. But before he does that, this is what the people say. The whole congregation of people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to him, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you brought us into wilderness and killed this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And they shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Do you see a pattern here? This, this is, I've picked three passages. There's, there's plenty more. If you trace through the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, we, have any, we don't have time today to go for the New Testament, where Jesus is literally saying, remember the disciples on the boat? And they're, they're sitting there going, I don't know if we have enough bread. And the Lord's like, you, you miss the point. Or how about when the Israelites are, sit, are sitting in the boat, and the, ra- the rain and the storm rocks the boat, and then Jesus gets up and goes, you have little faith. These are what we talk about when we say tests. See, when the Lord tests us, it's at the front of an opportunity where we have an opportunity to step into the fullness of his kingdom. We have an opportunity to take our rightful place as co-heirs with Christ. This is what tests look like. And sometimes we think of tests and we think of, you know, that's God just playing a cruel trick on us and hurting us. But this is what a test is. A test is simply an opportunity. And when we look at it that way and we see what God's trying to do and we shut up and we listen and we listen and we move forward when he tells us to move forward. We step into the promises that he has has for us. This is the challenge this morning. And I want to take us to one last passage. I laughed. Gary's up there I think somewhere. Gary is the is, is a legend. He's the person who makes all puts all of like the scriptures up and usually beforehand, just so you, just for you guys who are interested in like the back house stuff, but um we usually send our stuff into Gary to send it. And I sent him practically like all of Exodus and all of numbers. <laughs> I like copied and pasted, and sent him in a Facebook message and he was like, You need to email that to me. That's far too insane. And I went like this and he's like, So we're reading through all the Old Testament I said, Yeah. <laughs> we'll pick one of them somewhere and just go how it is. So Thank you, Gary. Thank you, uh, people in the back. Paul Allen, those guys, you guys are legends because you're, you're, you're keeping, us, keeping us sane here. Our last passage here is in Numbers 13, 14. And this is probably the place where I felt like this is a message for us today and a message for us now. And I'll just read it here. It'll, it'll come up on the, on the screen. The background of this passage, by the way, I should start. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'm all over the place this morning. It's the Lord. It's warm. It's all this. But Numbers. We get to a point where the Israelites go up to Mount Sinai. That whole meltdown, like literally a meltdown with the calf and the Bible jokes. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so we get up to Mount Sinai. They they have the Ten Commandments. They move on, and they move into a place uh, which is their final destination, believe it or not, an 11-day journey. And they're right on the edge of the land that's been promised to their forefathers. A land that they'd been chatting about for generations. The promises of God. That God would somehow take these people and set a land for themselves. And they're sitting right on the edge of the land. And this is what the Lord says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send me men to spy out the land of Canaan. Which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man. Everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were the heads of the people of Israel. I'm not gonna read through all of these names because I will butcher them horribly. But know this, a representative from every tribe of Israel was there, including Caleb and Joshua. So Moses sends them to spy, to spy out. And in verse 17, he says to them, go up into Negeb and go up into the hill country And see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak. Whether they are few or many. And whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds. Whether the land is so rich or poor. And whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit back. Now the time is the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen to, to Rehob and near Lebo Hamath they went up into Negeb and came to Hebron the descendants of the Anak were there <laughs> and they came to the valley of Ishkol, and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two of them they also brought some pomegranates and figs i love the bible it's so funny Yeah, they had these massive grapes that were the size of watermelon. They were carrying them on a pole. Oh, they also brought pomegranates as well and figs for the millennials, pomegranates on toast. I am a millennial. I can make the joke, all right? I love pomegranates and avocado on toast. (laughs) That place was called the Valley of Ischol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. And at the end of 40 days, They returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told, told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. How cool is that? Imagine coming back with like a flipping pole full of grapes. Like this is just some of the stuff that's there. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people, say quieted. Quieted the people before Moses. and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. But then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the, to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. There we saw the Nephilim and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seemed to them. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. This very moment defines Israel, defines the people of the Lord, and is perhaps one of the greatest tests. And we all know the story, well, most of us do that. They decide not to go in to the land. And an 11 day journey turns into a 40 year journey through the wilderness. Think about that. An 11 day journey that the Lord had set aside for them to walk into the promises. Of his people, they refused and it took them 40 years. There's a, there's a small point about this. The people eventually got to the promised land. If the Lord has planned for us to go somewhere, we will go there kicking or screaming. But if we get to taste and see and experience the goodness of where he's taking us to, that's up to us. That's the one thing that we have a decision on. And in this moment, Israel is presented with a test. If I could have the worship team actually come back up. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, sat and stood and listened to Moses give the word that said, the Lord is going to give us this land to these people. They're going to conquer their foes. Heck, they, the Israelites have just seen God show up more than once, in absolutely extraordinary ways, And in that moment, they go, "No, we can't do that. We can't do that." And I was struck by this, because I, as we said before, so many times we beat up on the Israelites. We're just like, how do, how do they do it? But could you and I, if we honestly looked at ourselves that we were put in that position, could we say the same? This is what I feel like the Lord is saying to us today. We are we have an opportunity. We have a test ahead of us. I remember sitting, standing in that camp tent and watching all of the, the comings and goings and all of the things going on. I naturally, for those of you who don't know, I'm naturally an introvert. It doesn't give me excuse to not talk to people. It means that generally what happens is I'll walk into a place and I will just kind of scope it out and just see what's happening and see what the Lord's doing And I remember sitting there and the Lord just saying, this is the test for the people of this land. Lord, what does this test mean? This is the opportunity for the people of this land to experience what real revival looks like in their land. This is the opportunity that the people of Northern Ireland, of the Republic of Ireland, get to experience breakthrough that they have yet to be seen. And it's something that we see in our lives comes up maybe a handful of times. But certainly in here, I think the last revival was 1859, something like that. I'm not a historian, I'm not. And if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that revival is is definitely the buzzword in Journey Community Church. It's the buzzword all around the world, truthfully. And that's not a problem. But my question is, what does revival look like? Because to me, and I think where the Lord's taking us to, it's bigger than just a church service where people come and lay prostrate and the Lord wrecks them. It looks like businesses popping out of the ground, where there's success. It looks like families who have fought for years find restoration. It looks like schools and people getting favor for stuff that they don't deserve but because God's good and he covers the land. And Journey, we have an opportunity to stand at the front line and look over our promised land because the promised land here was a region. I, I am very aware of that. It was a specific historical time. But if you read through scripture and you read how God takes his people, even to the times of Jesus, Jesus stood up and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is right now. Do you want heaven? It's me. You want to see heaven come to earth? It's me. It's what we've been singing about. There's a moment here where we get an opportunity to walk forward and say, I'm moving forward. I see all the issues. You only have to turn on the radio or turn on the, the TV to hear all the issues that are going on in our land. They're going wrong in our world. You have war, rising income, taxes, and all those sorts of things. People concerned if they're going to be able to heat their houses. I hear it too. I'm there. There are giants in the land. But something happened two weeks ago that shook me. Shook me. And I won't be the same because it was the first time that I felt that the giants of this land had awakened. I have had a taste of that. I'm not going back. I've tasted and seen, I've seen the the fruit, I've seen those grapes, they're massive. There's so much more. There's so much more. This is our test. And this is what I ask for us. I have the absolute privilege of my life. Should Jesus come now and take me away, I will die a happy man because I got to see a glimmer of God's promise for this land. I got to see a glimmer of the breakthrough of this land that will radically change the world. It would just be like God to take an island that is the size of Indiana and blow up the world in a way that only God could do with a people that are fiery, with a people that have fought. This is a land that knows bloodshed. This is a land that knows bitterness. They've walked through the land of bitterness. This is a land that understands what it means to not forgive and to hold grudges. But this is also a land where people look you in the eye and you go, I will go with you. And if it's my end, so be it. And that's the land of people. That's the land of giants that the Lord is saying, will you rise up and will you see the promised land? And will you say, I don't care what it costs me. I will go. When I was a teenager, I had a moment. A moment where this whole Christianity thing became real to me. Because for so long, I'd, I'd gone to, to camps and gone and got my salvation about 18 different times. Because you, you show up and you go, oh, God, I'm so off and all this kind of stuff. And it was like the Lord was saying this to me. He said, Michael, you can keep rerunning the Egyptian narrative. You can keep running the Exodus story in your life. But when will you move forward and enter into the promised land? When will you move forward and say, you know what? I'm saved, the Lord has gathered me, the Lord has taken me, and I'm walking forward. And I remember sitting there at a a kid's camp with a bunch of smelly teenagers sitting there, and my my youth pastor got up, I'll never forget this, and he did a sermon, I couldn't even tell you what the sermon was, and he stood up and he just said, I feel like the Lord's asking, is calling us out. He said, if you feel, if you're in your heart and you could stand up in front of everyone and say, I will die following Jesus wherever, wherever he takes me will you do it now here's the thing I was scared to death and I didn't stand up I remember sitting there I, I weeped all night and I said Lord why did I not stand what, what was it in me that, that didn't stand and he spoke and he said there's still another invitation there's still another invitation. Will you get up and will you stand? And so this is what I ask of us. We're gonna go into a worship song. And to be honest with you, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me whether you stand or sit or fall or, or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. But it's between, this is a moment with you and the Lord and actually you and the community of people around you. And this is what I want from you. If you are saying, I want what God promises for this land, and I don't care if it's uncomfortable. I don't care if it'll cost me because I promise you it will cost you. There's a word I had this morning. I'm sorry, I'm going way over here. I, there's a word I had this morning, and, and it made no sense until just just in a, in a second here. And the word was Baker's dozen. So many of you know the way. Everyone here knows Baker's dozen, a land of amazing bread. I grew up. My my mom was a baker. Would bake it all the time. Told me about Baker's dozen, but. The understanding where baker's dozen came from was there was a medieval law passed that, that when people bought bread, they had to get a certain amount of weight, and so bakers were afraid that they would be punished, and so they put in an extra loaf of bread just to be safe. So that's, that's the history. But this is what the Lord was saying. The Lord was saying, there's some of you that have been waiting for your baker's dozen because you've been holding out on something, and the Lord's saying, would you throw away the list that says, these people owe me something, and will you let me fill up your storehouses? Will you let me stand in front of you? Will you let me move in your families? And so this is, this is my, my call. This is the call of Ireland. Will this be a church? Will this be a land? Will this be a people that say, I've tasted and seen and I'm moving forward? If that's you, if you're with me and you're standing forward and you're saying, I want you to stand to your feet. And this is all I'm gonna do. I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and move, move outside of our families because I want it more than a moment here. I want it a moment where we walk home and we take it with us. We walk into our businesses and we take it with us. We walk into our families and we take this with us. We take what the Lord is saying and we go, we will fight for revival of this land. We have been called as people, as giants in this land, and we will move forward. And so Jesus, I pray that you would come and you would move in power in your people this morning. Lord, that you would burn a fire in our bellies, God, that we have yet to feel. God, that you would wake us up God, you wake us up inside, that you would remove the distractions, God, that that hunger that is set inside of us would not go away, but it would continue to move forward. Jesus, we ask that you would move in power in this place. We ask that you would move in power in Antrim. You would move in power in Downpatrick. You would move in power in Northern Ireland. You would move in power in the Republic of Ireland. You would move in power in this land, Jesus. And if it starts with us, let it start with us. Would you move in power? Jesus, we thank you. We worship you. And we say, God, have it all. Would you come and would you move and move and move in power in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.